0: Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm okay. We are all okay, or at least I hope we are okay. Uh, today we are going to be taking a one last break from our, our, br- our series on the Artifact Weapons and the story behind them to answer more of your questions. I figured many of you sent them in as we've been asking. So, you know, it's a pretty good reason to, to take a break and ask, answer some of those questions. Again, if you do have questions for this podcast, or any of our podcasts, be sure to send them into podcasts at blizzardwatch.com. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can go ahead and join us on Discord. We have a patron Q and podcast questions channel where we do look for our questions first as a way of saying thank you to our patrons for allowing us to continue to do shows like this and, well, generally operate the site. If you can't afford to support us on Patreon, we understand that, uh, but you can also ask us questions in our regular Q and podcast. Questions channel on Discord. Uh, And also, just as a reminder, we are available on pretty much every streaming platform uh, Spotify, Apple Music, all the good stuff where a lot of the other podcasts are. If you are listening to us on a platform that has the ability to share or to give a review, please feel free to do so and make sure you tell your friends about us. Uh, Every little bit of that also helps us, even if you can't support us monetarily. And also, you know, tweeting to people that listen to us is always an acceptable thing in my book, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Anything to add to that before we actually get into the questions, Matt? No. All right. Uh, We're going to go ahead and get into our questions. First on comes from Stouty Poofs. Uh, There's actually a two set. Uh, We'll start with one and then move on to the other. Uh, so pretty sure we will no longer have a Lich King when we return and no Banshee Queen with Valkyr to keep the Forsaken going. So what do they think the future holds for undead and Death Knights? Will they simply die out? We answered this a little bit, but I wanted to come back to it and give it a little more uh time in the sun because we answered it sort of at the end of the last episode. Did we cover everything with this? Do we think that there is anything else that is on the horizon for Death Knights in particular? Because, I mean, you mentioned. No,
1: just the Grave. It gapes for them. They will all file into it and be crushed down, and their bodies will decompose, and that will be. There is no other forsake.
0: I don't know how to respond to
1: that, Matt. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they're they're forsaken. They should like dark gothic statements of <laughs> brooding misery and despair. If if you don't like that stuff, why are you playing one? Uh, you know, I'm seriously, I seriously, I said before that I hope they do some stories about the fact that they're essentially doomed. That you know, we've seen throughout multiple lore sources now that the Forsaken fall apart without constant maintenance. Mm -hmm. Like they have to have new jaws sewn on new limbs attached that their bodies decompose and they have to have stuff replaced. That's why some Forsaken don't have a jaw. If you, you can play a Forsaken with their eyes, basically grafted on with a big X of leather over your head. Um, I think it would be cool to have some stories that deal with this. And like I, like i believe I said before, I don't know if you, I said this part or you said it or, or what have you, um, there's, there's characters who you could really explore this idea with. There's Calium Menethil, who's mm-hmm. not forsaken, but is definitely undead and who is kind of represents a new kind of undeath that there could be some, expl- you know, can, can she help bring what she is to them? Can she help the the Calia style of undead since it uses the light seems to be similar to the process that makes the light born and light forged in that it doesn't seem, she seems like immaculate for lack of a better word. She seems to not be decaying. She's just there. It held in stasis, essentially. Maybe she could bring that to them. I don't know. That'd be one thing to think about one story that might be told. Another would be to tell stories with characters who have existed for a while within the forsaken, but who haven't really quite pushed over into being, Dominant characters like Leonid Bartholomew. Now that Sylvanas is no longer the Banshee Queen, does he come back? Does he try to help the Forsaken, which he is? He is one of. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the of the the very prominent uh, assassin that we first met in uh, I think the Cataclysm revamp, uh, and she was there. And when we did uh, the new Scarlet Monastery and the new Stratholme, Lillian Voss. Yeah, Lillian Voss. Thank you. I could not remember her name. That's okay. Uh, but she could. We could do more stories with her and her attempt to bring the forsaken into something like stability you know what does she do does she step up finally does she become the faction leader since we're told calia won't be um i don't know but i'd like to see deal with the story elements don't just hand wave it away with another MacGuffin to make them you know perpetual again that being perpetual should not be a part of the forsaken story that's the whole point of them is that this is
0: hence the name forsaken
1: yeah, there's there's an element of this existence that is like a curse. It is you're you're trapped. You can't go on. You can't move to the next place, and you're stuck in this this half existence. I think they should explore it. I think they should go and, forth from here with and look at what they what that means. And, and this not is just why I, come up with a new way around it.
0: This is why I wanted to bring the question back up is because I've been thinking about this a lot since last week. And I agree with you. And this is something that we talked about. Oh, they'll keep surviving. We kind of we kind of I don't want to say we short, and short answered it a little bit. But now that I've had time to sort of ruminate on it, I think that the whole concept of the forsaken, like you said, should be explored. But also, I'd be okay if it died out, if they were reborn anew and no longer called the forsaken. And I know some people would be very upset about that, but for the it would be. Almost like an identity shift, and that's when they find themselves, or potentially find themselves, in a new position after a lengthy period of, of reevaluation and introspection, or after a lengthy period of, for lack of a better term, being fixed. Uh, because let's not let's not sugarcoat it. Lillian Voss is picking up the pieces that Sylvanas left behind, and is doing something, even starting a battle for Azeroth, that she never intended to do right? She wanted to, when we first met her, she begged for the release of death. She wanted to be ended because her existence was nothing but pain after her task was completed. We obviously did not oblige her, and come Battle for Azeroth, she's become one of the most important forsaken characters I think we've ever had outside of Sylvanas in-game. And she's doing kindnesses here and there, whether it's uh, that tied, that tied Sage's uh, family and making sure that they were taken care of, promising that they would be taken care of, understanding his pain, trying to guide him through that. I'm it- not,
1: I'm not trying to interrupt you. I know you're making a really good point and I, and I want to keep listening. But when you say that she promised to take care of them, all I could cut to in my head was Lillian <laughs> Voss leaving a house and then it bursts into flames. And, and she's like, there taking care of i'm sorry but that's all it that was in my head i had to share that that's fair
0: no no that's fair but it was it was interesting because it was a more human moment for lillian to present in that in that sort of storytelling than i think even the alliance was getting from the humans themselves at the time like even with anduin and everything he was trying to do it was almost i, I don't want to say self-graduate uh self I can't you know what I mean the, the word is, is on the tip of my tongue um, it was almost a selfish act and
1: self gratifying
0: thank you why couldn't I do that words are hard people um, it was almost a selfish act that he was doing this it, it almost presented like I'm doing this to absolve myself of some sin even though he didn't need to it was almost a guilt about it if that makes sense at least the way that I w- went back and started rereading it this week. I would love to see them born from the ashes of the Forsaken anew, whether it's with Lillian Voss's leadership picking up those pieces and giving them purpose again. Because don't forget, their original purpose was just the spit at the Lich King, basically, to seek revenge in spite of everything he put them through. That's been done. That's been done multiple times over now. And I think that's part of why the Forsaken have become sort of listless a little bit. They don't really have a purpose besides existence and decay, like you pointed out. So if they can come out of this with a sense of purpose, picking up the pieces that were left behind by all the damage Sylvanas did, and maybe find a new path forward, maybe with the help of Lillian Voss, I'm here for it. And then combine that with uh, Caliomenethel, and maybe they find a way to stop the decay and the pain. And that's the same thing that I was thinking about the Death Knights. One of the things that I think is interesting about the Death Knights is, and we've talked about this before when we did the entire episode about Death Knights, is that there's a certain amount of... Of pain. There's a certain amount of like anger and aggression that they feel, even when they're not directly under the influence of the Lich King, that they need to do certain things just like Forsaken do to release uh, what it does to them to, to sort of balance themselves out, whether it's murder or torture. A lot of it is very dark, dirty stuff. But now that the Helmet Domination is gone, now that the Lich King is gone, does this mean that Death Knights can also start to move forward away from that? Are they still going to be wracked by sort of that that controlling pain that has defined them for so long, or do they get to also find a new purpose? And that's the other thing that I think is interesting. They were originally supposed to be part and parcel of the Lich King's generals, essentially, right? Uh, They are supposed to help control and lead the hordes of undead. I mean some
1: still did. Not every Death Knight went over. Sure. Uh when the Ebon Blade did. Uh, there was some of them you even saw up in Ice, Ice Crown Ground. leading. Yeah. You saw them leading and, and so forth. So yeah, um I I do think that Demon the, the Death Knight thing, I someone said Demon Hunter's different different <laughs> group. Um the Death Knight thing is complicated because some some of what we're talking about with the pain that they have, that's necessary for their existence. Mm-hmm. If they stop doing it, they stop existing. Uh, they would just fall apart. Because the magic that fuels them, the necromantic energy that drives them, it's it's more self-sustaining. You'll notice that unlike a Forsaken, a non-Forsaken Death Knight doesn't look decayed. And even the the Forsaken ones look different. Mm-hmm. And that's because the, the magic that's sustaining them is intended to be more powerful. It, it is not the same as the plague of undeath that created the forsaken um, because he wanted them to have their faculties. He wanted them to be you know, able to, to obey his orders precisely to, to think and have initiative. Uh, it's a dangerous thing to do. Uh, you, you still see it with like the, the four horsemen, the four horsemen are, are very much fully intelligent And to the point where Zeliac is still believes in the light Mm -hmm. to the point where, and I I bring it up constantly because I damn it, Zeliac does not get enough attention.
2: I would agree. Um,
1: But there's, that's the thing about death knights is that because the magic used to keep them moving is so much more complicated, they literally have to inflict pain to fuel it. Um, So that's never going to stop. It's just a question of what are we inflicting pain on? You know, wh- where does the violence go? You know, we can't stop doing it, but we can do it for our own purposes. We can pick our targets to a certain degree. The death Knights have kind of already hit upon that role. And we saw that in Legion. They've already started to to think, okay, we're going to, we're going to exist for the defense of Azeroth. We're going to keep the world safe. The, o- the way only we can, because we're the only ones who are dark enough you know, they're they're sort of like if paladins are your Superman analog, the Death Knights have settled into the Batman one. They they they're sure they're going to hurt people, sure they're going to wreck stuff. They're not going to ask permission when they decide we have to do this thing, and it's not always going to be popular. Like if right now the Red Dragonflight does not like them, uh, but their intention is the defense and preservation of Azeroth and life on Azeroth. So they've sort of set themselves up in that role already. After Shadowlands, it's going to be interesting because there, there's not a Lich King. Who leads? Does Bolvar lead? He seems to have settled into a leadership role.
0: I mean, he's, uh, he was sort of bred for that in life. I mean, it just seems yeah. natural that he would maintain that, right?
1: And the other Death Knights seem to accept him, even when he is not the Lich King, as the leader. But then again, we, we don't know for a fact that we... that Someone asked us a question on the other podcast about... How the Primus kind of took the helmet, kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudged, and sent us off to fight the jailer. After it was reforged into the helm of Will, we don't know what's going to happen with that helmet. No, no. We, we don't. know there's going to be an epilogue. Po- there's going to be an epilogue patch mm-hmm. before the next patch comes out. We know there will be a patch that kind of closes up the story here. We could see that helmet go back on Bolvar's head now that it's a different helmet, and
0: but and knife- change
1: him into something else entirely yeah we have no idea we don't know
0: but But that's just one possibility that's kind of what i was thinking was like does that change and also like with the helm of domination being the source of the the, really the magic of this round of death knights because it wasn't it wasn't like originally where they were just souls and truncheons, right? This is souls grafted back into bodies that are sustained by this ever-powerful magic that allows them to not decay. Does now that that source has been shifted, changed, and reforged, does the magic possibly change too? Because we have no idea. And we have no, no idea. No, absolutely
1: it doesn't. It's exactly the same. No, I'm kidding. I,
0: I'm <laughs> but it, it's it's a fascinating thing for me because it's one of those things where it's like – Maybe it becomes a thing where just the will to exist becomes the self sustaining portion of that magic. Where these death knights, who let's be honest, like Bolvar and the new four horsemen, even and Darien as well, they're some of the best characters I think they've had in a very long time. I love White Mane as one of the, yeah, White Mane as
1: a death knight is really good, actually. Absolutely phenomenal. I don't agree.
0: But like, They have a really good core of characters that are all extremely willful, and these were all ones that in life were bastions of willpower, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Does that mean now that if the source of the magic potentially changes, that they no longer have to have that pain associated with it, and that their will just literally fuels the spell itself, and then Death Knights become these stalwart bastions of defense Kind of what, like the Kyrian are supposed to, or the um, Maldraxans are supposed to be for the Shadowlands. Do they now guard the pathways into our world as those bastions of willpower? I don't know. I, I really want to see something play out with them as well because I actually think Death Knights are super, super cool and I expected to get more with them in this expansion, but we haven't yet. And it seems like, I don't want to say like a missed opportunity because I don't know what the plan I, here's was.
1: A th- here's the thing. I'm just going to say this. I've been thinking about it for a while. It feels to me like due to the pandemic and due to the switch to work from home that a chunk of the story just ended up not happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, maybe they just didn't get it ready in time. Maybe they decided to streamline the story. I don't know. I wasn't there but I've had friends say things that have made me think that this is the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I personally, I have liked Shadowlands. As I really story, have too. Yeah. But I definitely feel like there's parts of it that just kind of stop. Like it feels like the bit from defeating Sylvanas to here feels a little ragged. Um,
0: Because it seems like in between that would have been a good time for us to deal with some of the loose ends, like the Death Knights, like the Dross, like some of that other stuff. right? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. But I will say that I don't know that we're going to get something that ambitious this expansion. Uh, I think at this point, the last patch we get is going to just be the, here's the next expansion patch where we figure out what's going on in the next, you know, the next uh, expansion. Since we're going to hear about that in about 20 days or so uh i think april 19th so not 20 days but you know in in like three weeks we're going to hear what that expansion is i I just i don't want to bank on it being a major thing that's established now
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know
1: what i mean just because i i think it's the chances are really good that it won't be what they deal with now and thus people like us will be disappointed i definitely wanted more death Knight stuff in this expansion. And it felt like they were going there with the bit where you freed Darian. Yes. And, you know, he met his father and there was that whole thing. I, if, if I were, you know, if I had a magic lamp, one of the things that would absolutely be happening is that Alexandru Mograine would be coming back with the death Knights as a death Knight. Like straight up, he would come back from the dead as a death Knight and be a death Knight because I'd love, and not just him. Uh, there's several characters. Like I would actually imagine this whole Maldraxis death Knight exchange where mm-hmm. death knights spend a tour in Maldraxis helping defend the shadowlands and Maldraxi come to the, you know, to the land of the living to train death knights in better abilities. And so you could get lady Vosh showing up from time to time.
0: You have the good you more g- grain. <laughs> g-
1: you could get Draka, um, Draca showing up and, and they, they'd use it as a chance to also, you know, deal with stuff like, like Draka would probably want to talk to Thrall while she was there.
0: Oh, yeah, Stuff probably like And they did some of that with Corthia, Like they had some conversations between the the characters mm-hmm. when you were in Corthia that hinted that there might have been more to do with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Alexandros and uh, Darian talking with each other. Right. So, yeah, I think I think we have in here's my my pie in the sky before we move on is that I kind of hope that now that we get the announcement coming up of the next expansion, that the in-between time starts to deal with some of this stuff. And we talked about this before. We talked about this on the other podcast about having sort of like a cadence or roadmap of content. This is a really good opportunity for that, right? It's this opportunity that we could maybe capitalize on to start backfilling some of those lore problems. I don't want to say lore problems. Some of those story opportunities that maybe got truncated because of everything that happened, this would be a good way to maybe start pulling on those threads a little, maybe not fully explore, but set them up to go further in the future. Right. So, all right, I think we're going to move on to our next set, which uh, we've already answered the other one from you Stouty poofs. We're not going to do that again this week, um, but thank you very much. I just wanted to revisit this one because I thought there was more to talk about with it. Our next one comes from queen Anthe. Uh, what do you think the jailer told Sylvanas to get her on his side? Nothing. Uh-huh.
1: I'm not kidding. Go he for it, did Matt. Not he did not start this whole thing. He did not directly communicate with her. The Valkyrie first you know, made the deal with her to get her back into the land of the living. That's the beginning of the door being opened. I do not believe that the Jailer ever made direct contact with her until well after she'd gone to Helya, made the deal with Helia, and gotten the, uh, the lantern that would allow her to, con- to control Ayer. Uh Helia knew full well that wasn't going to work. Because even if you know uh werewolf grandpa hadn't shown up and messed it up, Odin wouldn't have allowed it. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that you know created a year. He would have acted. So she knew that when that failed, Sylvanas would be truly desperate. And thus, when Sylvanus indeed failed and was truly desperate, then helia could introduce her to the next stage that's when it happened and it wasn't anything the jailer told her it was helia with with a little bit of help from wazala who engineered all of this
2: Mm
1: -hmm. it was never the jailer the jailer doesn't deign to explain himself he doesn't bother to explain himself you could tell in the final confrontation between sylvanas and the jailer when she's like turns on him you could tell that he'd never even thought to hide what he was going to do from her. He didn't care if she knew she was a cog, mm-hmm. you know, someone else got her on the plan. That's fine. She'll do what he tells her to do. Um, when you see Sylvanas talking with the jailer in, when you're in uh Torghost, and she, there's that little scene between the two of them. Pay, watch the way they interact. Mm-hmm. He does not look at her. He is not listening to her. He doesn't care. There's, there's stuff about Zoval I don't like. There's stuff about the, inter- the introduction and interaction of Zoval I don't like. One of the things I love about him is that he does not give a rat behind about anything else than his, his stated goal. You know, And he, uh, he does a lot of what he does through sheer intimidation. Mm-hmm. Like he gets Denathrius on board without promising Denathrius anything. You know, it, it is fascinating to, to look at the way the the jailers, his forces work, that it's broken up into these weird little fiefdoms and they're all kind of like in charge from their own angle. And I definitely don't think he, he said anything to her to get her on his side. He didn't have to, that's what he has other people for. It was most certainly Helia that chipped away at that stone. And but that's my take on it.
0: I tend to agree, uh, and it's one of the things that we've we've talked about before, and I've also thought about a lot on my own, and as I'm sure – I mean, I know you have as well. But look at Sylvanas' trajectory ever since Wrath of the Lich King. And I always come back to this. I know I always come back to this. But there's this moment where she f- throws herself off the top of Icecrown, the task, quote-unquote, done, and because there's nothing left for her, her purpose is gone – and this always struck, like, struck me as odd in the presentation, but now has made more sense over the years. In that moment, the first thing she sees is darkness—nothing but darkness and pain. Right. So this is deliberate, I feel, because at the time we now we now know what we didn't know then is that carrying ferry the souls to the Shadowlands, Valkyr are a twisted version of the Kyrian. Valkyr were already at the Ice Crown Citadel. Those Kyrian then take her soul to a place where she can only see darkness, and then the deal is struck, where now those those uh, Valkyr are in service to Sylvanas, and they do what they're supposed to do by Helia's orders quite well, Throughout that time, subtly influencing or letting her know what they know about the lands beyond uh, reality or our reality, what that what actually does await after death. So it's when Matt says it's a slow decay; it's a slow decay, and it is by design that it chips away at her. And it's that moment though that everything starts getting further and further down the hill. It's if you've ever been uh, like skiing. There's a certain point where, like, if you're on a very steep hill, if you go too far too quickly, you, you have the, the chance of losing control. If you go too far slowly, you don't realize you're losing control. And that's kind of what happened to Sylvanas. She started on that path, and it was just little things by little things by little things. And then going to the death of Vol'jin, Moizala putting that bug in Vol'jin's ear and making her war chief was by design. And it wasn't for what everybody thought it was, I don't think. And we've talked about this a lot, too. But I don't think it was because she would be this agent of war. I think it was because the pressure would get to her, because she wasn't a leader in that regard. Even when she led the Forsaken, even as the Ranger General, she wasn't a statesman. She wasn't a politician she wasn't somebody who went out of her way to uh, placate or or handhold other dignitaries from other uh, factions. That wasn't who she was. She was a general. She was somebody who was used to working in the background or in the shadows with a very direct course of action. But now it wasn't like that anymore. Go to Before the Storm. Read the book about what happened with the Forsaken, the, the Council of Desolation, uh, and everything that happened with her people, and her feeling like she's losing a grip on that. As a general, of course, she's going to view stuff like that as insubordination, not the same way Anduin would. My, Anduin would view, my people aren't happy. What do I do to fix it? Sylvanas, my people aren't happy. I'm going to go kill them now. It, it's this massive mounting of everything that she is not or not supposed to be, or not comfortable with, that just completely breaks her down and lets her become malleable to anything that the jailer wants. Because now the jailer's telling her, it doesn't have to be like this. I can make it better. Doesn't have to promise her a thing, just like he didn't promise Denathrius anything. Doesn't have to say anything specific. She's already at a point where all she's known is pressure and pain and lack of purpose And now she knows that beyond the walls of life, death is a farce. There is no rest. You are nothing but fuel for an infinite, uncaring universe. Of course she's going to go along with it. Is it the right choice? No. Was it the only choice she thought she could make? Maybe. Will she regret that for the rest of her existence? Probably, now that she has her full soul back. But it's always been fascinating to me because I don't think it's... We haven't seen the full weight of it yet, and I think there's going to be... An exposition dump at some point, very likely between Sylvanas and Uther, where we'll be able to hear them talk about this and talk about what her journey was, whether it's in a book or whether it's in uh, the game, we will hear about it. But that's going to do it for that question. Uh, We're going to move on to the next one. This one comes from our friend Lord Soth. Uh, Could you maybe explain the ending of the raid a bit more? I feel like I have zero understanding of what that cinematic was. Um, Mild spoiler warning then for you folks at home, uh, probably for the next five to ten minutes. Uh, Then you can come back. The end cinematic of defeating the jailer inside of the sepulcher uh, of the first ones is, I I don't want to say like abrupt, but it is not quite what I expected. It is a recounting of his point of view, a little bit of what happened to him and having his portion of his soul ripped off when it ripped out, uh, basically the purpose of his vessel ripped out and then used as an automata inside of Oribos to sort souls uh, while seeing how his, quote-unquote family, his brothers and sisters react to him in their individual responses to him before he's locked away in his own prison in the mall, uh, which is, I think, fascinating. But the end sequence is him almost conveying that there's a larger threat that he was trying to prepare the universe for. This is the first we hear about this larger threat. But maybe not the first we really hear about it, but the first we hear about it from a cosmic being. Um, and we see him start to power down as now his purpose has already been taken over by another another vessel uh, and when another soul. Right. So his purpose now lives on as the Arbiter with Pelagos, sort of driving that that mecha suit around. Right. He is no longer needed. He is disassembled. And broken down to his primal core components, which in this case we now know is a vessel framework. And we wouldn't know about that until after the le- this week uh, had story had just passed. Um, when we shoved the, the, the soul into there and after the whole thing with, with what the vessels are and also going through the reading, and seeing that there's an infinite number of these vessels available, we kind of have an idea of that. So he's going to an inert state. That's really it. Unless I'm missing something, that's the cinematic I saw. And I didn't really see anything too much in there, aside from this vagueness that he might have been maybe a little bit right. But not in the right way. Now, uh, you've seen the the cinematic, Matt?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think?
1: Well, it starts with the ice cream party, of course. I don't know why you didn't mention the ice cream party. It's very important.
0: Now, um... Well, because the sprinkles are cursed, Matt. That's why.
1: Well, yeah, but, you know, it also contains monosodium glutamate. Uh, anyway, no, seriously, though, I, I don't think there is a lot to the cinematic. And I think people are kind of trying to force it into meaning more than it does mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, it's the big end expansion deal. We beat the jailer. Uh, it's those. I think Joe's analysis of what you see is pretty accurate. Um, you, you get the, the because Denathrius is not going to be showing up to, to give the jailer a hard time at this point. Like, they didn't bamf in here and, and say these things again. This is him remembering it the last time it happened.
0: Despite Denathrius being okay. elsewhere now.
1: Yeah, so Denathrius is, we don't even know where Denathrius is, do we?
0: No. Like it, he it's was a, in the
1: sword, and then he baffed out. We, we don't the, know what The sword what got broken doing.
0: free by the... Um, the, the, uh, the Dreadlords. The Dreadlords, yeah. So he's yeah, probably in the Nathra-
1: dr- Zim, so
0: He's probably wherever the Nathrasim have held up shop. He might be on Argus.
1: Yeah, we don't know. We have no idea where they are. But regardless it is basically him you know him saying at the time he did it that it was necessary that his goal was to defend reality from incursion um i want to get the exact quote uh so give me a sec here he basically makes the point that he says something along the lines of a cosmos divided cannot survive what is to come and of course we all want to know what does that mean but the cinematic does not tell us what that means uh, it is very clear from watching the cinematic though that the jailer is a is a construct. Mm-hmm. He's very similar in in a way to the titans, who are themselves like massively powerful spirits animating planets or being born out of planets. It's kind of complicated, but nonetheless, it definitely seems that that he was made. That Zereth Mortis implies that the entire Eternal Ones were all constructed. And, and there's also, even prototypes
0: i was gonna say there's also some implications in there as well with this past week's story uh chapter of mm-hmm. the titans
1: yep and and we don't there's a lot we don't know yet mm-hmm. uh but it is definitely seems to be the case that these beings were made and put in place to keep a balance between these forces that the inter- the intention all along was that there be a balancing force the, the trouble is, is that every time we get lore in world of Warcraft, it is almost always from a particular slant or point of view. Mm-hmm. Chronicle was written from the point of view of beings that knew of the Titans, if not the Titans themselves, and thus it approached things in a specific way. Uh, the codex of the shadowlands approached that same stuff from a completely different perspective. And everyone was like, why did they change the cosmic order until someone pointed out? They just flipped it. It's it's as if you think of this as a three-dimensional object and you just turn it. That kind of thing. What the jailer is talking about, we don't know yet. We don't know what is to come. We know that whatever it is, he felt that he could use Azeroth and the power in Azeroth to remake reality in such a way that it would survive what he believes is coming. Why does he think that? What was he going to do? We just keep getting told he was going to remake reality. We don't know what his goal was. I mean, we know the method of his goal. We know what he was going to do to achieve it. We don't know what it was. How is he going to to prevent reality from being doomed by what is to come? What is to come? Don't know. So watching the cinematic, if you are expecting to come out of it with a full understanding of what the heck just happened... You're not gonna get it because that's not what they're doing. But if you want if you watch it understanding this is his final defeat, now that he is no longer the arbiter, and now that he doesn't have the power that he tore out of the arbiter, he's nothing. This there is no more him. And the form that he takes is the unanimated, unpowered, for lack of a better word, unsold version of him.
0: Yeah, like you even see the the soul sort of snuffing out. Like it it is it is ceasing to exist at the end of that cinematic. And I think the runes
1: I- on his face actually stop glowing. And you remember those runes he's got all over himself. They're still there. When, when the, uh, everything ends for him, when he is defeated, the runes that they marked him with. Cause his, in, in the flashback, you see him talking without the runes. Mm-hmm. And then they marked him with the runes to make him the jailer. And you see those runes are still there. Like that part is still there the binding they put on him is still there. So it is really fascinating to watch, but it isn't trying to like give you everything about it.
0: Yeah. And and I think that's really the important takeaway, right? It is not meant to be the info dump. And I think we've, we've sort of been conditioned to have those final cinematics be that for so long and to be sort of grander than they really need to be because the, and we talked about this on the regular podcast, there's another season of Shadowlands after this is said and done. Um, As we are here, there is a 9.2.5. There is potential time between now and the next expansion starting to do its pre-expansion stuff that is time that we can explore a lot of these loose ends. And so the cinematic is, first of all, well done, as far as I'm concerned. I think it is very, uh, very cinema E is a really weird way to say it but it has a very much like a, almost like a TV quality or a movie quality to it uh with the flashbacks and that final that sort of final moment of the villain uh who might not be maybe full villain uh just to give you enough to sort of question what you did which mission accomplished but also just move you into the next phase and we have all of this time of cleanup We have all this time of aftermath, which I think this might potentially be the first expansion we've had where we might actually get some time to deal with the aftermath. I can't think of another one where we've done that. It's been breakneck speed ever since. And at the end of Battle for Azeroth, we didn't have any time because everything that happened going into Shadowlands happened immediately after Battle for Azoth. There was no grace period. So now we actually have an opportunity to maybe have some of that deeper diving into, well, what happened with the Jailer? Is the Pantheon of Death really what they say they are? What's going on with the universe? What is this seventh element uh, or seventh force or whatever you want to call it? What is this great threat that we haven't considered? Also, where the hell is Denathrius? Because him and his sword are creepy and we can't just leave them to do whatever they're going to do. Plus, now we have all the broker stuff that we have to kind of question and and dive into as well, because brokers play a pretty big part, especially um, Cartel Zai, in everything that happens in Zareth Mortis and the Jailers' plans. What were they doing? What was their purpose? Was it just pure profit, et cetera, et cetera? We have a lot of things that we can start looking into, and that's exciting. So the cinematic wasn't to tie everything up. It was basically just to say, Jailers, done. Now go forth and deal with everything else. So, uh, but I think that answers that question. So we're going to move on to our next one. And this one comes from KTS stories. I'm listening to the discussion of the seventh force on the podcast. And the discussion of that force being a destruction or imbalance made me think of the devourers. They exist outside of the forces we are used to. And in Zareth Mortis, we see them consuming the energies there, unraveling or exploding. Do you think they are the first hints of whatever the seventh force is? I actually do. And this is something I talked about a little bit last time, and then I'll, I'll turn it over to Matt to, to give his take on it. But one of the interesting things that we haven't talked about is the Devourers. They have sort of morphed and evolved throughout the course of this expansion, and it was not lost on me. It was one of those things where they started and they were very simple, mindless, anima-consuming creatures. As they've been consuming the anima, and that's what they've been doing, they've been growing and evolving. They stopped being like blood ticks and giant monstrosities with no brain to now in Corthia and Xerath Mortis, more humanoid, moving in packs, hunting in packs, showing a, a level of intelligence that we didn't think they had. Uh, it is interesting because they're starting to evolve. And that's not something we've talked about. That's not something that's explored really in game that I know of. I went looking for it this past week. I didn't see any quests really around it besides stop the devourers, which is really what everything is, but they might be from that sort of destructive force. We're told that they exist in the space between realms, essentially, and they can teleport in. Why can they teleport into the Shadowlands? And now that they're consuming that anima, can they go elsewhere? Are they able to go elsewhere? Is that part of what they are? And are they part of this great devouring force that needs to be stopped? But then on the other side, if that's the case, why didn't the Jailer do anything to maybe do that? But I, that's, At least that was my initial thought. But Then I started looking at some of the world interactions. The Jailer's forces were fighting the Devourers just as much as we are. They weren't being set free. They weren't just being let loose. All the Jailer's twisted monstrosities, you can find them fighting the Devourers in Korthia, in the Maw. In basically anywhere where his forces are, this might be the first hints at what's to come, and it might revolve around whatever space or entity that the devourers hail from. And the interesting thing to me is they're also kind of flung into the Shadowlands almost in a similar way as what was described with the old gods being flung from the void into Azeroth in, in basically the prime material plane, there might be something here and I want to dig deeper into them. What do you think?
1: There's no seventh force and the devourers are not part of anything else. The devourers and what is coming is a breakdown. It's not an entity. It may be an entity born out of the breakdown, but it isn't a power or a force. It's, the thing. Let me put it this way. I can't pronounce the name because uh, I only ever see it in game. I don't read it. But Cezara, the uh, oracle from Zareth Mortis, mm-hmm. she says that the devourers once had a job. They had a purpose. They were made for balance. But they've since become altered and now instead pose a threat to the design of the first ones. What does that mean? What were they balancing? How were they balancing it? Why do they drain anima to do what to to exist what does that have to do? like were they once part of the system that keeps all of these separate planes in in harmony like there was a period of time it seems that the first ones when they created existence did so with the idea that all these various planes of existence would feed down into azeroth that the and i say it to azeroth but i mean the realm that azeroth is in not just the world azeroth um there's the again you use the word primordial plane that that's as good as any but there's that plane then there are the various cosmic planes that seem to feed and direct energy into that plane it's where all of, it's where all these other forces become unified but they're not unified anymore like the fell is actively inimical the void wants to destroy all existence aspects death you know invades the realms of the living and, and creates abominations like the undead there's beings of raw order are being hurled into our existence from the plane of of arcane and becoming the titans all these things seem to be instead of all working together to create existence they're in conflict they're they're not balanced and as they become imbalanced the balancers seem to have become imbalanced as well that the the things that were made to maintain are now destroying they're eating the fabric of existence anima is essentially the fabric of existence it is the thing that makes things be it's how the shadowlands the shadowlands exist through the anima returning to them from the the realm of, of where things live from existence and the devourers are devouring it and throwing the shadowlands out of whack and they might be doing something like that just behind all reality if they were part of some purpose that they have since stopped serving. And I think if you think of it that way, if you think of there's the universe of purpose and creation and order where you have to have void and the the thousand truths, because you need to have endless possibilities mm-hmm. generated within it, but you also need to have the ability to pick one. You need to have a discernible goal. And that's where light comes in and fell brings the chaos and arcane brings the order. Death brings the, the, you know, the, the world being renewed through the return of, of resources and existence to, to a fallow state to be regrown again. Life obviously is the force that drives the fuse through the flower and creates things to, that will eventually die and be returned. All of these things exist in opposition to each other. You know, life opposes death order of, you know, the arcane opposes chaos, you know, arcane and fell, they oppose each other, um, light and void oppose each other, but through their interplay, they make the world. They make the, 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 the understandable physical existence that we come from is birthed from that interplay from the dance of them, but the dance isn't there anymore. Something broke it. And I don't, it's i don't when i say there's no seventh force i mean there's what i'm trying to say is the thing that is happening is not because some outside entity is coming in to create it it's because this system is disorganized and it is that disorganization itself might have a mind and a will and a, and it might be doing things on purpose but it originally comes from whatever broke the design in the first place that the orig- the cause of it is not it's not a positive thing. It's not even like with void. Void is describable, you know, for all the madness and all the chaos void. We know what void is. There's a thing there. You can tell someone this is what this is. Mm-hmm. The thing that is coming is not that it is what happens if everything stops working. It's, it's literally the grit in the gears. It's, it's throwing water on your computer. It's that thing. That is what we're talking about that is my take on this the devourers once i once i saw that the idea that they had purpose and were made for balance i'm like okay if you if you think of balance as the thing that keeps the universe running then imbalance is the thing that breaks it down they're not devourers they're annihilators and when you said that you you see them get more sophisticated as they devour more they become more sophisticated because what, the more you of, of a system you destroy the more it begins to destroy itself. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at just a human body, you know, something as simple as a, a little piece of metal, if, it's implied, imp- if it impacts your body with enough force, it causes everything around it to start dying because stuff is popping, stuff is leaking, things are not working now. Once a system that is balanced stops working, it collapses. Um, I think you could call the force entropy if you wanted to.
0: Yeah, you know, but entropy might be a really good that, way to praise that actually.
1: Yeah. I I think it is that is what's coming. It is entropy itself. It is the system is disorganized and the disorganization is going to lead to a collapse. And the jailer's goal was to rewrite reality so that it couldn't be disorganized. And that might have worked, but it would have done so at the cost of what the first ones were trying to do in the first place.
0: Which makes sense. Make a right? living yeah. cosmos. A they living wanted cosmos. a
1: living cosmos that interacted. That all its parts. You know, we call them the first ones, but we know nothing about them. We don't know what they were, and we only we call know. them the
0: we only call them the first ones because somebody else called them the first ones
1: because Zoval did,
0: and the you know? uh, and the the uh, brokers.
1: Yeah, but Zoval is the one who called them that when we first encountered them, the brokers do call them that as well. Absolutely. They're also calling as the progenitors, but we, we really know nothing about them. We know nothing about where they came from. We don't know if the governing forces of reality existed before them. Mm-hmm. Like did reality have those things before the first ones? We don't know. We know nothing. So it is actually really fascinating to even get the hints we've gotten. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's going to be a lot to this before we actually know what it is. My take on it, though, is, as I've said, that it's, it's like if you imagine the creation of the cosmos and as the first one's moment of, of triumph, something happened to break it down. And it could bell be that the first ones are all dead because we just went to the sepulchre of the first ones. It could be that they died somehow and in so dying introduced instability into their creation. And thus, that's why it started breaking down. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I definitely think it is that it is that the system is breaking down.
0: All right. Well, hopefully that answers the question or at least gives you some more things to ponder. Uh, but I think it's going to do it for that one. But I think we're going to have time for one last question, and this is going to come from Jagerbaum. Uh, Is Azjara so powerful because she's on Azeroth? Does being on a giant source of arcane power supercharge her? On another world, would she just be good, not great? This is an interesting question because I don't think I've ever really considered it. Now, Now that we've been talking more about what Titan Souls are or potentially are, and now that we have maybe a little bit of an understanding of what those souls uh, or or creations were intended possibly to do after making our way through the Shadowlands, there is a possibility of that. There is a possibility that Ajara was so great because she inadvertently is able to tap into the core of that being. One of the things that we know is that uh, elves that were were born with golden eyes were said to be creatures of great prophecy uh, they were supposed to have some great important task or something that was going to happen for them right uh, that they were going to be fulfilling some legendary thing or another but maybe it's something with how closely tied they are to sort of the world that they're on or in this case Azeroth. Um who was it meant that didn't start with Golden Eyes, but then got it was Malfurion, right?
1: Yep, Malfurion grew them, whereas his brother was born with them.
0: And he grew them as he became more in tuned with nature, right?
1: Mm, No, he grew them when he ripped a giant hole in Azeroth over the hole that it already had and allowed more of the the core of the planet to leak forth into the world in the Maelstrom. Okay. The place where the shamans later would hang out and make their magical base. That was created by Malfurion when he closed the portal and caused the feedback loop. That seat of power that still still Shaman's a great draw- thing
0: of power, yeah. Go yeah, ahead. The sorry. seat
1: of power that Shaman that he draw that Shaman's draw from was his making. He did he did that when he collapsed the portal. His eyes went gold after that.
0: So do you think that maybe him in that moment was- Oh, I don't think
1: anything. I'm just throwing that out there for <laughs> you guys to muse about. I have no opinion on this.
0: That's a lie. Come on.
1: Nope. You ain't getting it. Not well. this week. Let me put it to you this way. Let me put it to you this way. I will, I will let you a little bit further down my path, but I'm not going to tell you what I'm thinking because I'm still thinking the the prophecy of golden eyes for night elves. If you compare to the way, say, all blood elves today have a chance to have golden eyes since they've been they've come to embrace the power of a Naru in the Sunwell, a being of pure light uh, that is feeding the Sunwell with its power. Illidan obviously was chosen by Zerah, and she would have done something roughly equivalent to the light forging process to him mm-hmm. had he let her. And that was one of the things, you know, his destiny was tied up in that. Why therefore should Ashara, someone who we know ends up working alongside an old God have been born with them. And what we talked about earlier and what we talked about with the jailers, the concept that the jailer comes to Azeroth because the, the realm, which Azeroth lives in is composed of those six forces as yes, they're supposed to be in harmony and balance but they are instead in disharmony and discord and i think the devourers would fit very nicely as a concept of like manifest discord they're literally the cosmos ripping apart around them in them through them they are the means by which the cosmos is being torn apart they were supposed to be the means by which the cosmos was going to balance itself and be maintained so that's interesting to think about if we think about ashara as we think about neltharian it's clear that the old gods seek to convert and control the greatest threats to them. And with in Ashara's case, Ashara coveted the Well of Eternity. And I think there's a thing here. Just being on Azeroth is not going to make you more powerful than other magicians from other worlds. Um there are plenty of like examples. Kadgar, Kadgar didn't suddenly lose a step when he went to Outland. He didn't suddenly, "Oh, I can't cast these spells anymore." Most magicians are not affected that way. But there is a big source of arcane power on Azeroth. Even before we knew about Azeroth as a world soul, we knew that the Well of Eternity and the water of the Well of Eternity was massively powerful. Even when you just took that water and put it into another source of water, that source of water became a magical font. Mm -hmm. They created a new Well of Eternity using its water. The Sunwells were created using its water, which we now know is like pure Azerite blood. Um, So... I don't think that she's more powerful because she's on Azeroth. I think that because she's on Azeroth, she can access more power because she knows where to get it. And she knows what it is and has known for a very long time. She was studying the well of eternity. That's how Xavius ended up getting mind controlled and turned into a satyr. She, he was studying the well of eternity and what he could sense of the cosmos through it. So I don't want to keep going because the show would run out of time, and there's a lot more to this that I'm still working on in my head. But I want you to think about that concept that we talked about Azeroth being the final Titan. What if the reason it's called the final Titan is because there's literally no other word that could be used to conceive it? I was
0: just going to say something that's similar. I was going to that same rabbit hole. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's this whole idea that you know what it is might be something far beyond the Titans we know of.
0: Which is why it's so coveted, which is why it's so important, which is all part of the Because it might
1: be the end goal of that cosmos-defining chorus of order, the harmony they were trying to create. This is what that harmony is supposed to end in. Mm -hmm. This is the crescendo. This is the thing that it was all leading to. And as a result of that, be- because it's wounded and its essence is leaking forth. Yeah. Ashara could use it to do great things, but I don't think, I think her power comes from the fact that she is simply extremely intelligent and understands magic very well. Anybody who had her level of understanding could do it. Ooh. And if you took her off of Azeroth and went to say Outland, she'd still be an incredibly powerful mage. Because, again, Cadgar didn't suddenly forget how to cast spells when he went to Outland. But she wouldn't have access to the Well of Eternity, and so she'd need another power source. Like For instance, she needed the Pillars of Creation, or at least one of them, the Tidestone, to do some of the things she did. We saw her get the Tidestone and use that to create uh, a big area that no, the water was now kept away from. And she did that just, just this kind of a tease. So she didn't want to use her own power. I think Ashar's... Ashara absolutely could have done that on her own power, but she didn't want to. She wanted to use another power source to save her own resources. And, so I think that's the thing about Ashara.
0: And the interesting thing that you bring up is that it, it is something that she is intelligent. Let's let, On the other side of the coin, I don't think Illidan gets enough credit as a mage and if you go back and look at his story as well like as his understanding of magic grew he became insanely powerful mm-hmm. because of that understanding of magic it's there's a science to it as it's described in Warcraft uh magic yeah. if you look
1: at if you look at the Illidan books since you brought Illidan up in the Illidan novel he works out how to destroy a planet
0: yeah 100% like,
1: yeah and it's not It's not, you know, I'm just so fell. He, no, he, he deliberately figures out how to cause a portal network to disintegrate and blow up a planet Mm -hmm. and does it to the Nathrazem of all people. Uh, They had like a world that they were holding and he just destroys it. That's Illidan's whole thing where he embraced the fell. What had nothing to do with Illidan being a fell demon who craved power. He just realized fell energy is is less constricted by rules.
0: It's pow- It's a different type of power source.
1: Yeah, it's a power source that I can use, and I don't have to do the same rigorous stuff I would have to do mm-hmm. if I were doing this with Arcane. The downside is that it's going to eat me from the inside out, but I'm willing to pay that price. That's There's a lot to this. Yeah, I, I agree with you about Illidan that that was a good catch.
0: It, it's... It's something that we'll probably explore again at some point because I think there is a lot here. And this is a good question because now it's starting to get us on a – at least me, and I don't want to speak for Matt, but it, it's starting a line of thinking that maybe I hadn't considered before. So I do want to thank you for that. Uh, but I do think that is going to do it for time for us. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads-free site experience. Uh, if you have questions for this podcast or any of our other podcasts, be sure to send them in. You can go ahead and send those questions to podcast at blizzardwatch.com or join our Discord server where patrons can throw ahead and throw those questions in our patron Q&Podcast questions channel where you will get first dibs at having your question answered on any of our podcasts. Or if you can't do that, go ahead and uh, throw them into our Q&Podcast questions channel that is for everybody. We will look there, and several of these questions did actually come from there. Uh, and just make sure you specify which show it is for uh, so that we can go ahead and pull them into the appropriate categories Uh, And as a one final reminder, all of us at Blizzard Watch continue to stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard, as well as all those in the game industry and tech industry that are currently demanding change for a better tomorrow, safer work environments and equal treatment. Uh, One day, I hope that we will never have to say that again, because it'll just be a thing that everybody has. Uh, But until next time, folks, it's been the Blizzard Watch. It's been the Lore Watch podcast. We'll see you next week.